Good morning. Uh, i tell you what this morning, before we get started, why don't you go ahead and find the book of a little letter to Philemon. Uh, as we began last week studying this letter, if you weren't here, it's uh, kind of near the new, end of the New Testament, end of the Bible, right before the longer book called Hebrews. So if you find Hebrews, you can probably find Philemon. It's only one page long, most Bibles. So we'll be looking at that this morning. Uh, last week we began this study by reviewing some things and about this little letter and why it was important to us. Uh, basically, this is a letter written by a guy named Paul, the Apostle Paul. It's also uh, a letter that uh, was written from prison. It's one of what is called as prison epistles, prison letters that Paul wrote. Uh, another thing about it is that uh, it was a letter that was written to a guy named Philemon, a guy named Philemon. And uh, as Philemon uh, uh, was a guy who was a wealthy uh, man who was a slave owner, actually, in that day. And we shared last week that there were prox- approximately in the Roman Empire in that day 60 million slaves. So it was a huge part of the, of the environment in that day. And, and so people, even though this guy Philemon had become a Christian, he'd still owned slaves. And at that point in time, slavery had not been abolished uh, in, in that time and age. But he also was a man who had a church in his home, Philemon was. And then he was written about a guy named Onesimus. Onesimus was the slave, uh, former slave of Philemon, who had escaped, had probably stolen something uh, from Philemon and then taken off. And then he'd run into Paul in Rome, met him there, and Paul did what Paul does, does best. And Paul ex- uh, accepted or actually introduced him to Jesus Christ. Uh, he became a follower of Christ and then this is kind of where we see the letter. The letter was written because Paul encouraged, not only encouraged, but challenged uh, Onesimus to go back and make things right with his former owner, Philemon. And he wrote this letter as a letter that Onesimus would take back with him uh, as he went back to that uh, very difficult thing that was going to happen. And it wasn't an easy thing we shared because in that day and age to control slavery, uh, the, the uh, penalties for, for being an escaped slave was harsh. Uh, the least you probably would have gotten would have been a branding of an F on your forehead, which meant fugitive. Uh, that's the least would happen to you, which is not a necessarily a good thing. The, the most would pro- most likely happen, though, was that because you were escaped slave and to discourage other uh, slaves from escaping in that day, that usually they would they would beat and then crucify, kill uh, the slave. And so that's what Onesimus had potential could happen to him. But Paul said, you know, let's just make things right. Uh, Philemon is a change guy, and uh, we, I believe he's going to make things right with you as well. So that's where we began last week. We talked about some things there. We focused on verse 11, uh, that whole verse that says, says this, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both to you and to me. Formerly you were this way, but now. And that's a good, the good news. But formerly we, can, we were one way, but in, as we're changed in Christ, now we're different. Now this morning I want to talk about uh, the person that probably we think least about sometimes when we think of the letter of Philemon, because we think about Philemon and Onesimus. But the person that we learn the most about in this letter is really the person that wrote the letter, Paul. Paul's the one we probably learn most about his character from this letter. Because we learn a few things about Onesimus, a few things about Philemon, but we learn, I think, hugely about what happens to a life that's changed 
when, when God works in their life. Um, as I was reviewing, as I shared with you last week, as I go through the process of, of studying for a series, uh, a, whether it be a book of the Bible or whether it be a series on a topic, whatever we study, one of the things I do is first read Scripture, read different translations, I read commentaries, I pray, pray over the Scripture, and then what I'll do is after that, then begin to listen to message series from other pastors. And in one pastor in particular that I'd listened to was James McDonald, who's pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel up in Chicago. And as I was listening to that, he shared in that series, the little series he did on Philemon, a story or actually a resource that he had found a few years ago. He hadn't actually read the book, but he had discovered it and discovered a process in it or a concept in it. It was very helpful. And this morning, what I want to talk about is that that uh, concept that he discovered there, because I think it helps us to put a handle on some things that we'll learn today. And he, he actually had read a book or actually read the excerpt from a book. It was a book by a lady named Joyce Landorf. You may have heard of her before. She's written tons of books. And uh, this book was called Balcony People. Balcony People. Now, in the book, it's uh, I haven't read the book. I just went on Amazon.com. You read the excerpts. You did the whole thing there. And, and the book itself basically talks about that in life we encounter two different types of people. Balcony people and basement people. Balcony people and basement people. And, and the two types of people are very obvious. And I like the analogy that you use. Uh, balcony people are encouragers. They're people that lift us up, who encourage us. Basement people are people who pull us down. And in a real sense, basement people are the people, uh, this is the quote from the book, it says, basement people are the people who have said things to you and said things about you that have wounded you and injured your capacity to be the person that God wants you to be. They are negative, critical, and they pull you down. They ruin the dreams that you have to do. They groom the dreams that you have to do something significant with your life for God. You got any basement people in your life, people that pull you down, that are critical? Uh, she calls them evaluators, people that are always, you know, it's always evaluating you. It's never good enough. Um, yeah, we probably all have some people like that in our lives. But on the other hand, there's balcony people. And she says balcony people are just the opposite of basement people. Uh, their goal is our Christ likeness. And the Apostle Paul was a balcony person. Uh, and, and the reason we understand that is he even said to his disciples, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, that sounds like a bold statement. That doesn't mean he did it perfectly. But he's saying be an encourager of others because Paul had changed. Let me ask you, who was Paul before he became a Christian? He was a persecutor of Christians. He was a person who, more than anything in his life, he was not a balcony person. He was not somebody who lifted people up. He was a basement person who pulled people down. His goal in life, and he says this, uh, and we read about this, his goal was to persecute as many Christians as possible. But on the Damascus Road, he had an encounter uh, with, uh, with Jesus Christ, and in doing so, he changed his life. And being changed, changed his character, who he was. He became a balcony person. And it says this, balcony people are the fired up, positive, upbeat people who see the good in everything and always cheer you on and try to encourage you to be the person God wants you to be. They build you up and they fire you up and they speak faith and confidence and trust in God into your life. And they give you a vision of doing something more and being more of what God has called you to be. Uh, you have balcony people in your life. Are you a balcony person? Or are you a basement person? That's the question this morning. Now, in this little letter of Philemon, we see at least three things that help us to understand what a balcony person is. And it's really more about Paul, about what Paul had become. 
As, if you have your Bible this morning, turn it, open that up to Philemon. We'll be looking at a few select verses. We'll have it on the screen as well. Uh, but, you know, as I thought about this this morning, asking myself the question, who were the balcony people in my life? It was easy to identify balcony people. Basement people are easy to identify, but balcony people are also easy to identify. Those people that encourage you and build you up. And I shared this in the first service, and I'll share it now. You know, when I think about balcony people in my life, the first people that come to my mind uh, in the life of this church are the, uh, the people that serve on the leadership team of this church. There's a group of people, four other people and myself, that serve in a capacity called the leadership team. It's kind of like, I guess you'd call us, we don't use the term elders here at the church because there's so much baggage attached to that. But we do use the term leadership team. And these people are people to give oversight. And when, when I meet with the leadership team, let me tell you, I'm encouraged. And not just encouraged when we meet, but all the time. Uh, we have the four people on the team right now. Uh, the first one uh, to think about is Carl Figg. Carl Figg has been my accountability partner ever since I came here. One of the first people I encountered. The first day I flew into Illinois. And, and, and encountered uh, this place called uh, Germantown Hills. And uh, as I flew here and came here from day one, Carl has always been a person that spoke the truth in my life, but he did it in love. And I've never felt put down by Carl, ever. And he's an incredible leader. He's an incredible person who God has just used to encourage me and to speak the truth into my life in an encouraging way. Paul, uh, Carl's been a, a balcony person. Uh, on the leadership team as well as another guy who just recently, a couple of years, two or three years ago, came into the life, about three years ago or so, maybe four, came into the life of the church. And his name is Randy Schertz. Now, Randy is, is a totally different type of guy. He's a, he's a guy who's just, let me tell you, Randy is the most loving, caring guy I've just about ever met. If you meet Randy in the hall, he'll say something encouraging to you. I know every week when I go out the door, Randy is going to say something encouraging to me. I mean, if it had been the worst day, worst sermon of the, of the year, Randy will find something good in it. Uh, literally, he'll do that. Uh, he, and, he, and he doesn't, he, he does that to every, he's an encourager of people. Randy speaks the truth as well. I mean, uh, he's a seminary trained farmer. And, uh, so it's, he's kind of a, you know, he's a really sharp guy. He, he, he just, but he speaks the truth into people's lives. You know, I, and I think about the two ladies that are on our leadership team. Betty McCoy, Betty McCoy, known her since the first day. Betty has always been an encourager. I mean, if you know Betty McCoy, man, she just encourages people left and right. She just, it just oozes encouragement. Lisa Garber, she's the other lady on our leadership team. And Lisa is just, just warm and just friendly and helps people to feel, feel, you know, you always feel warm and friendly around. I got, that's the four people I get to work with, man, are great leaders in the life of this church right now on leadership team. You know, and there's tons of other people over the years that I could mention that that are balcony people still are in my life. But, you know, the thing is, think about that in your life. Who are the people in your life that encourage you and build you up? You know, my wife is an encourager as well. And she she uh, probably sometimes my worst critic and my greatest advocate at the same time in a good way. And the thing is, is that we need people in our life who are balcony people. And Paul was a balcony person. It says this, uh, uh, th- there's some examples of that, uh, of what a balcony person is. And I want to give you those three examples that are in Scripture today. Uh, first of all, in verse 4, it's, uh, verse four, it says that balcony people are, are thankful people. That's the first attribute of a balcony person. They're thankful people. Uh, Paul says this, he says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. Now, you've got to understand the context of where Paul was saying this from. He wasn't saying it from a luxury suite at, uh, you know, in Florida. He was in a prison. 
He, he was under guard constantly, chained to a guard. And the thing was, is we need to understand that he was in the midst of that. He was saying to Philemon, he's saying, you know, he's saying, hey, I, every time I think about you, all I can be, uh, think about you, all I can do is is be thankful. Now, you may think that Paul was kind of like one of these pie in the sky guys, but this guy had lived a real life and he still was living a real life every day. And I think about it is the reason that Paul could do that is because when God works in our life, he begins to change things in us. He helps us to be thankful people, no matter what circumstances you're in. I thought about this week, this past week in my own life, and I'm thinking, you know, based upon the fact, I was having this conversation with my wife yesterday. She uh, took off. Um, she didn't leave me. No, she didn't do that. Um, she just left me for 12 days. Uh, she took off to Florida to visit with her mom and dad who live in Florida, snowbirds. And um, so she's down there enjoying 80-degree uh, weather, and uh, we're up here in whatever this is here. But, um, but the thing is is that I called her and talked to her, and, and we were talking about this week and, and, and yesterday, and I told her, I said, well, you know, I'm thankful. And she goes, do what? Well, you don't understand the context of what I'm about to say. Because this has not been, based on circumstances, this has not been the best week of my life. Uh, my wife was going to fly out on, Mon- on Tuesday morning from Bloomington. I was going to take her to the airport. We were going to have a nice breakfast along the way and then fly out at 11 o'clock. And, and so that was our plan. Except God had other plans. I don't think God did this. Uh, I don't know if Satan did it either. But uh, it just happened. But about 11 o'clock on, on Monday night, uh, after I've been in bed for a little while, I discovered that I was going to go on a diet for a few days, a forced diet. It's called the stomach virus. And from then on, I won't go into all the details. You don't need to know them. But basically, I lost 10 pounds this week. It, it, the diet works, I'm going to tell you. You know, if you're willing to go through the pain, you can gain or you can lose whatever, you know, whatever you want to do. And so I've been on the uh, on the uh, special diet this week of rice and applesauce, you know, thing. I had no appetite the whole week. This morning, for the first time the whole week, uh, when I got up at six o'clock to come here, I went by McDonald's, got a biscuit and actually tasted like something. Uh, first thing the whole week since I saw, you know, I was on this diet. Well, that happened this week. That happened on on uh, Monday night into Tuesday morning. So basically I was in bed for two days, sick, had no uh, no appetite, have ne- eaten nothing. Uh, even up to up through uh, uh, probably uh, through Thursday. Well, Thursday night we go to bed. Uh, my son's in town. My wife's gone. Uh, my son uh, goes to bed whatever time he goes to bed. And uh, he comes in. He comes up to me. He comes and wakes me up at about 1.30 a.m. in the morning on Friday morning. Dad! You don't want to be awakened at 1.30 after you've been sick all week. And you haven't had any sleep, real sleep in you. For the first time, I'm getting sleep. And he wakes me up and he said, I got out of bed to go to the bathroom and there's water all in the basement. We have a finished basement, by the way. Or we did have a finished basement, should I say. Come to understand, remember Thursday night, all the rain we had? It ended up in our basement. And uh, our sump pump decided to uh, uh, get stuck, to float on it. And so we had... About an inch of water. Luckily, it was only an inch of water. So for the rest of the next two hours, we're pumping water. We're, you know, squeegeeing water. We're doing stuff. And then we finally go to bed. Next morning, get up. You know, and, and, and if I look at that this week and I'm going like, man, this has not been a good week. I just want to, 
just want to forget it. And I also knew that also I had planned, you know, we had Married Life Live last night. I spoke at that. And then today, two services. And I knew that usually I don't do both when, when uh, we have that. I usually have one of my other staff. But I knew that my wife was going to be gone all week. I was going to have all this extra time. <laughs> that didn't work out. Had a lot of extra time, but it was laying in bed moaning and groaning. And, uh, and so the thing was, it wasn't a good week. But the thing that was, the, the fact is this. So, so I have this conversation with my wife yesterday, and I said, honey, I'm thankful. And she goes, what? Yeah, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. It could have been worse. Good news is, is I changed, uh, changed some insurance things back about six months ago. The insurance agent, which is in our small group, talked to me about sump pump coverage. I have some pump coverage. Encourage you to get it. <laughs> because the cover is going to cover most of, you know, so service master came in Friday morning, ripped every piece of flooring out of my whole basement. Our basement still now sounds like an airplane, like a turboprop. You know, it's like 300 fans down there going all at the same time and dehumidifiers and stuff. It's been going, it's going to be, I understand this morning it's going to be for another two days. And so if you come by and you hear some kind of roar come out of my house, you understand what's going on. But if I look at it from that standpoint, I could just simply, you know, be just kind of bummed out. But I want to say I'm thankful. I'm thankful that, you know, that some things happen. Even in spite of that, I can be thankful. I don't have to sit around and let the circumstances of life make me an unthankful person. And the thing is, is that balcony people are thankful people. Their attitude is one of thankfulness. I love this quote that uh, that uh, I believe it's 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 from James McDonald. It says this gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the altitude for living. I mean, you want to live in a dumps, you just, just you, you choose. But if you want to choose to live with a thankful attitude, it's your choice. It has nothing to do with circumstances. I was reminded of that. Um, a few weeks ago, I watched a series on TV, probably only one of 12 people in the whole United States that watched the series. I don't think it's going to be on. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be on again. Anybody saw The Secret Millionaire? It's a little series that's on one of the cable channels. Three of you. Thank you. I know. I knew there was somebody else in the whole world that watched it. The Secret Millionaire. It's a kind of interesting story about, and the whole premise of the story is about they actually go out and they get these multimillionaires. These people have humongous amounts of money. And then what they do is for a week, they have to go and live in a, in a, almost a ghetto environment somewhere, just a, just a really depressed environment. And they go in undercover. They, they don't wear any of their stuff. They go in and they just left to live and they have to live on the amount of money that's the average wage of the people in that area for a week. And during, and, and their thing is, and then they videotape it, but how they get by with videotape it, they tell everybody around there that this crew videotaping a uh, documentary on poverty. So nobody really knows why these people are there or even that they're not part of the whole thing. And so what happens is, is they, um, is they do that. And, and, and in the process, what their goal is during that week while they live there is to encounter people, to find people that, that, are, that are worthy of giving away money. And each one of these millionaires has to give away at least $100,000 of their own money to someone who is someone or, or multiple someones who are in need. That are worthy and are, that will do something with it positive in a, in a really bad environment. Well, one of the shows that I watched was really, I really was touched me because it was about one of the people in the shows was, was this young man. And it's this uh, millionaire, this guy, 
probably in his 30s, was going out. And he was, you know, he just kind of go around, kind of meeting people. And he hung out. He went to this uh, skateboard park. And you're thinking, well, that's a cool place to meet people. But uh, it was one of those ones. It was an extreme one with the big cement ramps and, and all kind of things. It was just a crazy place. And all these kids were skateboarding, except over here on one side of the ramp, there's this one kid, and he's in a wheelchair. And it's one of those real low, like, racing wheelchair-type things, you know, and he had it kind of, like, tricked out. I've never seen a wheelchair like it before. 18-year-old kid, and he's going around the ramps and up and down in this wheelchair all over the place, like just like the people on skateboards. And he stops, and the guy starts having this conversation. This millionaire, this secret millionaire, has this conversation with him. And he starts talking with him about his, his, why he's, you know, what's going on with him. How did he get the way? And he discovers this young man has been this way in a wheelchair from birth. He had spinal bifida and it never was, um, uh, never healed correctly or never did whatever he could do to go any further. So he had, he had this whole issue going on. And what happened was is that, is that he started talking with him and the most amazing thing happened in the midst of that conversation. This kid who could sit around but because of his circumstances could have felt sorry for himself had the most amazing attitude of anybody I've ever seen. And he, and he began to talk to him, this 18-year-old, this millionaire, talked to him. He said, well, what do you want to do with your life? He said, man, I want to start a company, and I want to build wheelchairs for handicapped people so they can do more. And I want to call the, the, the wheelchair company Extreme Sitting. I thought, well, that's a cool, cool title, Extreme Sitting. I never thought about that one before. And... Uh, and he said, you know, so because I don't think there's any limitations. He said, we put limitations on ourselves." And the kid was a humble kid. He wasn't cocky at all. He was very humble. And as he made this conversation, he said to the kid, he said, what, what? He said, what do you mean? You, you think you could do anything? He said, yeah. He said, well, what's the coolest trick you could do on a wheelchair? There's a park. He said, oh, I can do, I can do a backflip. Believe it or not, the kid takes off, goes down a ramp, jumps up, flips in this wheelchair, and lands on his wheels and keeps going. Without a, without a break, I, I saw it. It's on TV, so it had to be true. You know? <laughs> but no, I mean, it was the thing. And then afterwards, he talks to him. He talks to him, and, and, he, and this kid had this attitude, and he said to him, and the guy's going, and he's getting ready to leave, and he says to him, he said, hey, he said, hey, you know, this me and our sister, this kid, he says, you know, I'm really sorry for the situation here. And, he, and, looks, and the kid looks at him and goes, don't be sorry for me. Man, I get to sit all day. You're the one who has to stand up. And I thought, what an incredible attitude this kid had in life. Now, I don't know if he was a believer or not, because the show is not a Christian show. But I'm thinking about, you know, when God works in people's lives, he can help us to have this kind of attitude, this attitude of thankfulness. And balcony people have that kind of attitude of thankfulness. Number one. Number two, balcony people focus on the positive in others. Verses 5, 6, and 7 talk about that. You know, Paul was, was looking out for the positive in Philemon and Onesimus. He says this in verse 6, Because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And in verse 7, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of of the saints. Balcony people are people who who encourage and look for the best in others. You know, so often it's real easy to be a basement person. It's real easy to be an evaluator of people. Let me tell you, parents, this is one of the things we have to be so careful with. It's real easy to find the negativity and the negative things in our kids' lives, right? 
and always be talking about them. But it's, it's, you have to work a little harder sometimes to really think about the positive. Because when they're doing positive, we're doing stuff that doesn't bother us. But we need to learn to be encouragers. Balcony people focus on the positive in others. Paul was getting ready to, in this letter to talk to Philemon about the change that had happened in Onesimus' life. But before he gets there, man, he encourages him. He said, I want to tell you, I know what's going on in your life, Philemon. You're growing in Christ. You're becoming what God wants you to be. And because of that, I can trust that what's going to, when I send Onesimus back to you, you're going to do the right thing. Philippians 1, 6, you know, it's, it's a really cool verse. This is what Paul says as well in a different place. He says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. One of the things that we, that we have to understand is that God wants us to focus upon that, that we're not finished yet. He's not finished with us yet. Is it good news that you're not a completed work? That you, God has more in store for you. I mean, if you think that God has nothing else in store for you in your life, that, that, that he's finished with you, guess what? Just go ahead and shovel the dirt over you. But God wants you to understand that he's not finished with you. Not till the very last breath you take. He can still work in your life. He's still working to complete, bring to completion what he has in store for you. I think there's nothing worse in life than somebody showing up about halfway through a job and putting an inspection sticker on it. Because it's not done yet. But Paul was a balcony person, and balcony people focus on potential, and they try to draw it out. Uh, Paul says this in Philippians 4, 8. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Balcony people focus on the good. Now, the question some people have, and I know I've had this bring up to me before, well, if focusing on the good in people is so good, why don't more people do it? That's a good question. We're going to talk about that next week, but I want to give you a hint. The reason that we can't, some, the reason that so often we don't focus on the good in other persons is because it requires a forgiveness that we won't grant. We're going to be talking about the whole issue of forgiveness next week. You see, there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. You hear me? You can't have a relationship without forgiveness. You know why? Guess why? Because we have two imperfect people. And there's always going to be mess-ups. And we're always, and in any kind of relationship, going to have to have some small forgivenesses, lots of those. And then sometimes some big forgivenesses. And the reason that so often we have difficulty in finding the good in people and seeing the good in people is because we're always withholding forgiveness. And balcony people, people that lift us up, people like Paul, people like the ones I've mentioned, people that God, the kind of person God wants us to be, are people who also have a huge level of forgiveness in their life. We're going to talk about that more next week. But that's the second thing that's important because balcony people focus on the positive in others. Now, the last thing that the Bible says here is this. Balcony people think differently. They think differently. The reason that they, they fo- focus on the positive in others and they're thankful people is because they've begun to think differently. For instance, over in verses 15 and 16 of Philemon, 
Philemon says this, it's a New Living Translation. It says, perhaps you should think of it this way. He's saying, Philemon, I hope that you'll begin to think a different way here. Onesimus ran away for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer just a slave. He is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a slave and as a brother in the Lord. You see, when we when God comes into our life, he begins to change us. He begins to change us from the inside out. And one of the things he begins to change is the way we think. And balcony people are the way, have had their thought processes changed. Paul says this throughout his teachings in numerous places. Let me give you a few examples. For, uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says this, Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In Romans 12, to do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. And then in Romans 8, 6, it says, if your sinful nature controls your mind, formally, there is death. But now, remember, but if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. So what are you? You a balcony person? You a basement person? Do you lift others up? Do you pull others down? Are you an evaluator who constantly is critical of people? Or are you a person who, even in spite of their, dis, of their dysfunctions, which all of us have, you see the good in people, you see that they're a work that's in progress, they're not complete, and you encourage them to keep growing? You speak the truth, but you speak it in love. You're not harsh, your mind's changed. You're thankful even in spite of the circumstances of your life. What are you? God wants us to be balcony people. People who are encouragers. The world needs balcony people. It doesn't mean we just throw everything out the window. But the thing is this, is that we, and when we look at things, we have a different mind. We have the mind of Christ. We see people as he sees them. And it makes it all, it makes all the difference. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.